0: Here's a question for us as, you, as we look at Acts 15 this morning, right out of the gate. When was the last time someone told you no, and how did you handle it? How did you respond to no? You know, we, we tell our kids often, you know, your character is, is revealed by how you handle the word no, and it's probably just as true, if not more so for us as adults, right? So, so let me state the obvious here. Um, we are we're not a culture that deals very well with no's. You know, we have entitlements and rights and demands and freedoms, and we're having riots all across Europe uh, over the past year by, really, by a bunch of malcontents, right, who who were protesting this idea that their government actually told them no that they actually have to pay for the things that they receive. I know it's an amazing concept for some of us, and it was for them, but no is a negative word for us culturally, and let's be honest, no can be a negative word for us personally. Some of you probably feel like your life is just sort of littered with no's, right? Uh, No to that job, no to that dream, no to those plans, no to those prayers or to that desire or that relationship. And if you've lived long enough, right, you've had your share probably of crushing no's. And the issue for us this morning, folks, that we're going to see from Acts 15 is what are we to do with them? How are we to interpret them? What kind of meaning are we to assign the no's that God puts into our lives? And as we look at Acts 15, we're going to find here, guys, just knows all over the place, knows to, to dreams. There's barriers, obstacles, restrictions, unrealized expectations and, and plans. And, and let me just say this as we, as we dive in. I, I really want for us this message to go beyond mere platitudes, kind of kind of go beyond what I kind of call sound of music theology are any sound of music fans okay we're celebrating the 50th anniversary I, sh- I shouldn't have known that, but somehow I did. And so M- Maria's uh, Julie Andrews, and she says at a very poignant point in the movie, you know, the Reverend Mother, that's awesome. The Reverend Mother always says, okay, what does the Reverend Mother always say? She said, the Reverend Mother always says, when the Lord closes a door, somewhere he opens a window, right? And that's just so poetic and awesome, and it's great. Now, that's kind of true, and we're gonna see that from this passage, that's kind of true. But folks, I, I think that, there's so much more that's also true. God does have a purpose in the nose in your life. He does have a grand design, but I really pray the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the fact that not only does God have a a greater purpose and a grand design through nose in our life, but they're all part of this other big picture thing. There's all these other nose he's sort of weaving together, and he's doing something that's more awesome and more incredible then we have the capacity to see sometimes. And God is really gracious because in Acts 15 and 16, he shows us some of the fruits of the no's in Paul's life. And so Acts 15, uh, verse 36, we're going to read four sections here. We're going to look at four no's in the life of Paul's ministry. Four no's, and we're going to kind of read the text as we go. And as we open God's word, let's just pray it'll do its work. Just join me for one minute. Lord Jesus, we are really praying that you would do a great work of grace. Some of us are really wrestling with no's in our life. Maybe it's a no in a relationship or no in a a job or a financial situation or a marriage or a child or or something where we're just confronted with, with what is seemingly futility. But Lord, we're praying that you would help us to see beyond the know in our life to really what you are up to. And then faith when we don't know, faith when we can't see it. Lord, we pray that you would do that great work of grace for us, your people, in your name, amen. Verse 36, chapter 15, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So so Paul wanted to go back and visit the cities that they had planted, uh, the churches they had planted in the first missionary journey. So Paul's like, we're going to do the second missionary journey. Let's go, Barnabas. And here's what happens. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who was withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Remember, John Mark had dropped out. He had gone home. He was homesick. Barnabas wanted to take him. Paul said, no way. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose, chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." You know, it says right off the top, and, and you've got to love Luke, he does not gloss over, okay? It is just warts and all in the book of Acts, right? It's not all sweetness and light. He, he shows us the struggles, and he tells us here that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. There's only one other time in the New Testament when that word is used, sharp it literally means to agitate, but it's in Hebrews 10.24 when the writer of Hebrews says, Spur one another on, okay? Everybody loves, like, playing the part of a horse, right? And having people dig their spurs in you. <laughs> that's, what, that, that's what's going on here. This was, this was a sharp disagreement. Guys, this was the kind of conflict that cuts to the bone. Do you know those, do you know those kind of conflicts? You know, that's lasting and it's enduring and it's weighty and it lingers, and you kind of like wake up in the middle of the night, and you can't really sleep because you're just, you feel sort of the heaviness of it. You know, Susan and I were, were, were best friends with a couple that was in our wedding, and we were just talking about this last night, and we in theirs, and um, the wife was a maid of honor. I mean, this was the whole, these weren't acquaintances. These were, these were great friends, and they ended up in litigation with one of our other family members, and that really made for a very awkward white elephant gift exchange, as you can imagine, that Christmas. And, and, and 15 years later, okay, we still kind of taste the after effects of that, don't we, babe? It's, it's Valentine's weekend. I was going to say honey bun, but we can go with that, okay? It lingers, okay? It, it kind of doesn't go away. And, and guys, Paul and Barnabas, they were not just acquaintances, they were BFFs, and if, if people, you don't know what that is, text your teenager, and they will tell you, okay? And they'll text you right back what that means. They were tight, and they did everything together. I mean, they shed blood together, literally. Remember, they went on the first missionary journey together, lived, ate, slept, breathed the gospel. They were pastoring together in Antioch. Remember, it was Barnabas who went and kind of got the exiled Paul and Tarsus and brought him back to Jerusalem. I mean, they were tight. They went, they went to theological war together. They shed blood together. But here it's the, taste, the text. Basically, this is what it says. There was a conflict and agreement that was so sharp, they had to separate. Have you ever had one of those? And, and from this point forward in Acts, we never hear about Barnabas again. It's just, he just disappears, to use a Godfather reference, right? Barnabas sleeps with the fishes. We don't know. I mean, we we kind of, he just, he's gone. We don't we don't hear about him. Why? That's a great question. What, what would compel two blood brothers in the gospel to do this? What, what was so important that was at stake in their personal convictions that both Paul and Barnabas would say, this is worth separating over? You know, and it has to do with some family, right? If you look at some conflict in your life, there's probably some sort of family involved, right? Okay, so John Mark was Barnabas' cousin, and, and, Bar- and John Mark had deserted them in the first missionary journey. And you can just see how this plays out, right? And, one, and we'll all gravitate to one of these two guys in this story. You know, there's Paul, you know, who's like the strong CEO kind of leader. He's like, we are not sacrificing the integrity of this mission for one homesick dude okay? The needs of the one do not outweigh the needs of the many. And Burke Mewborn reminded me who first said that. It was Spock and Star Trek. Anyway, I didn't know that. But the the needs of the the one never outweigh the needs of the many. We got the gospel to take to the world. Are you kidding? We cannot babysit John Mark. And some of you are like, yes, stick it to him, Paul. We, We understand. But some of you love you some Barnabas. Because what does Barnabas say? Oh, no, 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 no. We got, let's Let's love on John Mark, and we need to give him another chance, and we need to make an investment in him. How about grace and mercy? And he's someone made in the image of God, and so he kind of takes Barnabas under his wings. And what's the come on, let's be honest. What's the the obvious question all of us have here, right? Who, Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Was this good or was this bad? Luke's kind of silent about it, and 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 how we answer that and folks how we wrestle with this separation that's happened will really tell us a lot about how each of us view conflict and it will also tell us something about how we think god works through conflict okay and here's a basic idea not all conflicts folks in your life are created equal See, there are some conflicts in our lives that are born out of sin and gossip and dissension and personal attacks. And the scripture is very clear about those. It says, we are called to be peacemakers. What does Paul say in Galatians? As far as it's up to you, live at what? Peace with all men. Where there is sin and, and fractured relationship, there needs to be confrontation and repentance and forgiveness and restoration But there's also another kind of conflict, and this is is important for us to understand, because a lot of us, let's be honest, are totally pre-programmed to think any conflict is bad. Like, some of you smell conflict, and you're just like, I I am out of here. But there is a good kind of conflict, and that's the conflict that happens over principles. And I think that's what we see happening in this passage. See, conflict over principle for Oaks can be a good thing. It can be a right thing. It can be a, a good thing to separate if the stakes are high enough. You know, Christians um, should be having conflict over whether to see 50 shades of gray. Okay? That is something we should be having a conflict over. That's an important debate. That it's even a debate, that that's even an issue shows why we need to be debating, right? That, that indicates why we need debating. And if you saw that, and um, um, I hope you don't feel shamed, but, you know, we can, we can pick that up at a later time, right? There's grace and mercy here. But, but that's something we need to be wrestling with as God's people. And I, and I often tell our pastors and elders, if, if we aren't experiencing some degree of conflict as a leadership team, stirring one another up, Pressing, forwarding, springing whether on—we're probably not running hard enough after God. See, there can be a sense in our lives where things can be so tranquil and so status quo and so passive that we just have stopped standing on conviction. Guys, conflict helps to clarify, and and, and you hear that, and some of you might say, "Pastor Paul." It sounds like you're saying that God might have actually sort of been on the edge of this conflict, so it's kind, of, it's kind of involved in some way. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I am saying that God was right in the middle of the conflict. He wasn't on the edge, He was right in the middle. God was orchestrating, designing, using, and, and, and here's why I say that. Guys, and through, if you want to look at the fruit of this conflict and this separation, on Conviction on biblical principle. One, we just have to look to, and we're gonna see this today, in Paul's second missionary journey. Guys, this was the greatest missionary journey in the history of the world. Paul goes to Asia. Paul goes to Europe. He plant churches in Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi. These all provide us a whole portion of Scripture that we have right now. But we know that Barnabas, okay, faithful, committed, merciful Barnabas, he invests in John Mark. And guys, who, who here has not been graced, if you're a Christian, by a Barnabas in your life, right? Someone who totally did not give up on you. And we know that Barnabas invested his life in John Mark because we read in Colossians 4 and 2 Timothy 4 that God was not done with John Mark. Um, God was doing a, grace, a work of grace in John Mark. In fact, God did such a work of grace in John Mark through Barnabas that at the end of his life, guess who Paul said, come here, bring me John Mark. Bring me John Mark. He is very useful to me in my ministry. I am thankful that Barnabas stood on conviction and invested in one life, because it was worth it. We have the Gospel of Mark. We have, Paul had a faithful compatriot. You know, Four Oaks, we have to, we look at this and we have to say, you know, where are we sacrificing biblical principles and truth for the sake of human relationships, which are fundamentally sometimes just really based in the fear of man? It's easy to do, isn't it? It's going to be particularly easy to capitulate in a culture which all the more only sees us in a very negative pejorative light. But just know that God uses the conviction of no to build his kingdom. A lot of times we're so afraid of no. We don't know what will happen or will God work or what will this and I lose control and oh my goodness. God's right in the middle of the no. That's the first no. Second no. When God says no to choices or freedoms. And now we're into to chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul, and Paul also came also, I'm sorry, to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Have you ever signed up for an adventure only to find out that it wasn't exactly what you bargained for? It happens every time we either go camping or outside, okay, or outside the Wi-Fi signal. That's typically when it, when it happens for me. And, and you've got to put yourself in poor Timothy's shoes, right? It's like, hey, Timothy, this is this awesome, great missionary journey thing. And then Paul tells them on the way, and congratulations, Timothy, you have won a new circumcision. I mean, that is not like a popular gig at all. Poor Timothy. I mean, he's just like, What, what is this? And this is really it's, it's, its kind of befuddling when you think about it. It's like, wait a minute, Paul. Acts fifteen. The pastor's day sermon last week. This is what they were fighting about. It's like, wait a minute, Paul and all the apostles were like, no, no, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved and be a part of the church. No, no, that is a principle that's worth dividing over, and we are standing up. We're standing firm in our convictions on the gospel here. But now, here we see Paul circumcising Timothy. What gives, okay? What is this about? And, and again, your, your college professor at FSU, your religious studies professor will love to say, yes, yeah, see, there's, there's the contradiction in here. It's, it's actually, I think it's very simple. Guys, a, an action taken under compulsion in one circumstance will totally destroy the gospel. An action taken by choice, okay, and by deference in another will preserve the gospel. You see, these are not the Jews coming to Paul and saying, circumcise Timothy. No, no, no. That's not what's happening at all. That's what was happening in Galatia, and and, and Paul was like, "I, I wish these Judaizers would just go all the way and emasculate themselves, okay? That was called the ministry of emasculation. He said, no, 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 okay? We're not doing that, but here... This is a freedom that Paul and Timothy are willingly giving up. They're saying, look, we, we, the, the issue of salvation, that's been established, the gospel. The issue of membership in the church, that's been established. That's not what's at stake. We are willingly setting aside a preference or a choice in this circumstance in order to bridge a gospel um, bridge to these Jewish brothers. We don't want to be... And, offense. and, guys, there's an important principle at stake here. Okay, and here it is. Sometimes we have to be willing to set aside our peccadilloes, our preferences, our quirks. Can I even say this? Our neuroses. And the Christian community always has those. In order to build gospel bridges. There is a difference in making a stand on biblical conviction. That's what was happening with Paul and Barnabas and then letting our preferences erect barriers to the gospel. There's a world of difference, okay? Just two examples. Guys, I'm so thankful that we don't have debates about music here at Four Oaks. Maybe you are debating at lunch after the service, and if you are, I don't wanna know, okay? Don't don't bring that up in here, okay? Ignorance is bliss. But, But let me say this, let me really commend the mature generation that's amongst us. So if you can locate yourself in that generation or not. I will, I will not be the one to do that. I know some of you are totally flexing. Let me say that. I know some of you are, you have to be, okay? You're totally flexing on style, or taste, or preference, or volume, or lighting, I, I, don't, I don't know, whatever it is, okay? I know some of you would prefer the Gaither's Gospel Quartet. Okay, I know that. Now, personally, I would rather have needles inserted into my eyeballs, okay? But nonetheless, and let me just say how this blesses us, guys. We're a unified church. I know we got differences and We'll always have preferences, but we're not separating over them. And this really allows us to reach an increasing, young, new, emerging generation. Let me just say, thank you, Four Oaks. That is a great gospel blessing. Let me give you another example. I wrote in my blog this week about schooling, and I entitled it very provocatively, Sending Kids to School God's Way, okay? And and, and here's the deal. I'll just give, give you the punchline. Four Oaks will not advocate, as long as I'm in the orb, okay, will not advocate for a particular form of schooling. We're not going to do it, and here's why. I know many of you have convictions, okay, but, but fundamentally, the Word of God is very silent on these things. It gives us principles about raising our children, investing in our family, in the local church. It also gives us principles about being salt and light and of gospel influence. But, guys, we should not elevate our preferences because I believe ultimately that's what schooling is. It is a preference made before the Lord in good conscience before Him, and to say, this is the way we're going to do it. Because prioritizing preference will lead to separation. It always does. Okay? It always does. It would be great if churches were dividing over the gospel. I'm all for church division over the gospel because it's worth it. We're not dividing over preference. So you have to ask, and I have to ask, what is the cultural, spiritual equivalent of circumcision, so to speak, for you? What's a, you have to think about this. I don't know the context of all your lives. What's a personal practice you have or preference, that is based on just just that, preference, that you are holding on to that's a barrier to the gospel with your neighbor or fellowship with other believers. Maybe it's dress. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's schooling. Maybe it's what neighborhood you live in or style or socioeconomic status. It could be a hundred different things. But we need to see in the ministry of Paul saying no to certain freedoms, not under compulsion, okay, but before the Lord. There's great gospel blessing in that. A lot of us don't want to, want to give up our freedoms. We don't want to give up our choices. We are good um, 21st century capitalistic North Americans. And Paul says, but it's good. It's good. There's great gospel blessing in that. What is, what is that thing for you? Third no keep rolling through. When God says no, and I think some of us will just resonate on a personal level with this, when God says no to plans, okay, chapter 16, verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had gone up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, if you have even a cursory knowledge of the New Testament, you know that Paul was a big picture dude. Paul was the guy to always press the envelope. Paul was that annoying guy on your missions committee. We don't have a missions committee, but if we did and Paul was on it, he would be annoying. He's just always go, go, go. Go to Rome, go to Spain, plant this church, forget about forget about John Mark. We've got big fish to fry, and it was Paul's dream and vision. He wanted to go right into the heart of Asia. And if you And If you look at a map and you look at Paul's first missionary journey, he mainly planted churches there in the in the Middle Eastern area he dipped his toe so to speak in Asia and you can tell from his journey in the second missionary journey it was his total intention to make a beeline to the major population centers right in Asia which is modern day Turkey for us but it says in verse 7 look there he says we attempted to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not allow now we don't know what this means Hey, we don't, it probably was not a vision because whenever Paul did have a vision, we're about to talk about one in a minute, it was, it was clear, like, do this, do this. But there's lots of ways in Acts where it talks about how the Holy Spirit guides us as believers so in, in normative ways, whether it's by circumstance or weather or natural disaster or wisdom or prayer or coming together and making a wise decision based upon consensus. We don't know, but we, all of us, are intuitively plugged into this idea that sometimes we thought we were heading here, and God says no, okay? It was no to that job, no to that thing, no to that financial investment, no to this decision. And whatever means God uses, he tells Paul, you are not going to Asia. It's not happening, Paul. Instead, you're going to go to this little outpost called Troas. So we, you look on a map and it's like, what in the world? Because if you look at the route, it's not a direct route to Troas. He's like circling the globe here. Paul, what in the world? What is in Troas? And here we find that there was a, a little guy, a singular guy named Luke who was in Troas. And this begins the we portions of Acts. So anytime you read Acts and you come across the we, like the personalized we, that means Luke is present with Paul and he's writing. And it says they pick up Luke and who begins to travel with Paul. And again, if you've been around the Bible at all, you know Luke is kind of like an important figure, right? (laughs) Okay, he was Paul's personal doctor. He traveled with Paul. And, interesting, he just happened to write about, in terms of length of words, about half of your New Testament. He writes Acts. He writes Luke. He writes the words that we're reading right now. And let me just say this. I am so thankful that God said no to Paul going to Asia so that we could get the Scriptures. It wasn't Paul's plan but make no mistake, folks, oaks, God had a much better one. You know, sometimes we believe God is saying, go here. Go here. We think we sense his leading. It's through circumstance or impressions or whatever. Only to find that he makes us get off at an exit unexpectedly. Okay? For some of you, Tallahassee is that exit. You're like, how did I get here? I have no idea. Okay? We're right with you. I'll come back to that. He knows... And we have to ask, God, why did you do that? Why didn't you just send me straight to Troas? Or straight to here? Why, Why all this other stuff? And I think it's very simple. God knows some of us wouldn't go straight there. We couldn't have gone straight there. We might be refusing to go straight there. So God takes us towards where we think we should go in order to get us where he really wants us to go. You know, when, when we came to, everybody, everybody here has a Tallahassee story. Like very few of you are like from this place, okay? But, but we're not from this place, but we came here in 1996 because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life, okay? So it's always fun when your wife has supported you through four years of seminary and has been working while you can like drink lattes and talk theology that you ask her, can you work a few more so I can go to graduate school, okay? That was that. Somehow we did. And thought I was going to be a counselor, a professor, or something, and 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 this pastorate thing was just was up in the air. It was not it. it there wasn't a conviction about it until God let us here, and that's a whole other story. But see, we may say, "But but God, why didn't you just take me straight into the pastorate? Why why not why not do that?" Well, see, God didn't just want me to be a pastor. He wanted me to be a pastor at Four Oaks. Do you see that? Now, some of you might have been like, I wish you'd gone straight to the pastor somewhere else, whatever. Keep that to yourself at lunch as well, along with your worship conversation. But sometimes God has to take us where where we think we should go to get us where he really wants us to go. I'm so glad he redirected Paul. I am so glad. And it gets better. Look at verse nine. So then it's, now here comes the miraculous vision, okay? There's the vision Come to Macedonia, which, you know, in that day and age, we, we, when I'm using terms like Asia, there was no such thing at the time, right? There was like empires. Like there's the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire. But when, Paul's, when, when we talk about Macedonia, this is Greece. This is modern-day Greece. This is Europe. And, and guys, you need to understand, Europe was not in Paul's mind at all. This was not on his itinerary. But it sure was on God's, and I'm glad it was, because... Humanly speaking, this one pivotal verse, Asia or Europe. And when Paul went to Asia, you and our lives in 2,000 years have been dramatically impacted because Europe, over the next 1,800 years, becomes the epicenter of Christendom. It's where every major world evangelization missions effort originated from. We're here, humanly speaking, because God said, come to Macedonia and Europe and don't follow your dream to Asia. You know, guys, we are so pre-programmed, I think, that when God says no, that's just something we intuitively assign negative value. We have to realize, just with Paul, knows that that's simply another way of God saying Yes yes. Yes to this thing. Yes to your current life. A lot of us are probably kicking against the goads like Paul was and, and, and saying, you know, I, I want out of here. or I want to be doing something different. And God's saying no. And he's, he's not saying no. He's saying yes to what you're doing. Yes to your current life. Yes, to your current job. Yes, to your current station. He wants you to be faithful and obedient and committed. I don't know. But where do you and I need to trust in God's no as part of his providential care of us? Last no and we're done. This is a tough one. When God says no to fruitfulness in ministry. Let's read a passage in 11 through 15 here that will show us that. So setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know, if you look at the rest of Paul's ministry up to this point, it was Paul's practice to go to the synagogues because that's where the Jews were. Because that, that, that was Paul's heartbeat for ministry. These were his countrymen. These were the people he went to school with. These were the people he was raised with. You look at it Romans 9, he says, I would be accursed for the sake of my brothers. But not here. He doesn't even go to the synagogues. He just goes down to the water, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, to, to, to share the gospel with a bunch of elderly single women. If you think about it from Paul's perspective, this is, this is not how he envisioned ministry. But why was he doing this? And it's very simple. Because the Jews had stopped responding. God had told Paul no to fruitfulness with the Jews. And he said, instead, Paul, you are going to the Gentiles. And it says in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And, and we can already see God's sovereign hand here, Four Oaks, that, that Paul had his eye for so much of his ministry on the, on the little dot of the Jewish people. And God said, Paul, don't worry. In Romans 9, I've got a plan for them. Don't worry. You're my emissary to the Gentiles. Because Paul, the, 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 the Jewish people are a small segment of a small culture in the Middle East, and I've got, a, I've got a bigger thing for you, Paul. I want you to go to the whole world. You are going to be my ambassador to the Gentiles, and I am going ahead of you, and I am preparing hearts. I am opening hearts. Guys, if this verse sounds familiar, two weeks ago we read one just like it. It said that as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And we come up against passages like this I said this before, and I'll repeat it again. It is one of the most, at the same time, confounding, but encouraging, passages in the Bible. Confounding and encouraging, because it's, it's confounding in this way. And here it is, Four Oaks. You you don't have control. You and I do not have ultimate control over people's souls. Philippians two one, which Stephen. Cited in the worship time. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians 3, natural man does not understand the things of God and cannot. John 3, you cannot even see the kingdom of God without the life-giving work of the Spirit. Some of you are coming face-to-face with ministry, unfruitfulness in your lives. Maybe it's with a child or a spouse or your one life, and you may say, God... Why aren't they responding? And the answer is, and this is hard, they can't. They can't. It's not that they don't have a will. It's just as Luther said, their will is in bondage to sin. Guys, we don't live in a dark world, and that's why we struggle with dark choices. No, no, no. We love, John says, the darkness We love it. We crave it. It is our preference. And outside the life-giving, sovereign work of God's Spirit, that's what we would choose every time. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's a hard text. That's a hard text. But here... Is where I want us to see God's encouraging work in the midst of our nose. Is that you don't have to regenerate people's hearts. That's God's responsibility. People respond and change when God opens their heart, regenerates their heart, and changes their heart, which means we can, just like Paul, share like crazy, pray like crazy, minister like crazy, trusting. That God will ultimately have his way. Paul, God had said no, no to the no to the Jews for Paul, but he said, Paul, I'm going ahead of you in your ministry to the Gentiles. I'm saying no to this for yes to that. And it's all by my sovereign grace. You know. And I'll say this in closing for folks. When God says no, whether it's relationships or plans or fruitfulness or freedoms, it's always for one overriding reason, and here it is, Jesus. It's always to give us more of him. It's always to give more of him to people who don't know him. But in order for the no's to take shape in our lives, God had to say, some, say no to something else even more profound. He had to say no to sparing his own son. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Lord, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. In Four Oaks, what did he say? No. No. Because in Jesus Christ, God's no to his son is yes for us because Jesus, God did not spare his own son, but sacrificed him on a cross, poured out his wrath on his son and raised him on the third day so that you and I could have yes in Jesus Christ. God knows all about no's. God knows all about no's. Jesus knows all about no's but it's ultimately for our yes in him. That's what this table is all about. That's what this table is all about. That, G, that God said, I will not spare my own son so that I might create and draw and bring a people to myself.